Welcome to Multilingual Montessori, a podcast where we discuss multilingualism, multiculturalism, and raising children from a Montessori perspective. I'm Gabrielle Kutkov, an AMI Montessori guide and TESOL instructor, and I'm the founder of the Multilingual Montessori website and Instagram account. Today I'm speaking with Romali Rosales Chavaria, a Montessori educator, researcher, and mom of two bilingual sons. Romali is from Mexico and lives in Glasgow, Scotland with her family. In the spring of 2021, she published an article in the Journal of Montessori Research called Second Language Corner for Children's House, a practitioner-researcher journey into bilingualism in Montessori education. In this article, she shared her experiences implementing an English language program in a Montessori children's house classroom in Mexico. In our conversation, Romali shares her thoughts about implementing bilingual programs in Montessori, as well as the process of researching and writing her article, and where the fields of multilingualism and Montessori are headed next. A few notes about our conversation. You'll hear us talk about the Children's House, which is a mixed age class of two and a half to six year olds in a Montessori school. You'll also hear us refer to what is known as the Montessori Trinity, which is the child, the prepared environment, and the prepared adult. I think that's all you need to know for now. Here's my conversation with Romali. Hi, Romali. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you for the invite. It's so nice to speak with you today. Um, So to start, I would love for you to introduce yourself. Tell us who you are, where you live, and about your family. Well, I'm a Mexican woman currently living in Scotland. I have two teenage boys, one 13 and one that is almost 15. Um, And I live with my husband and my two children in Glasgow. Oh, nice. Um, So tell me about your family's language journey. I know you've moved around a lot as a family. Um, So tell me where you've lived. And I'm also curious about, um, did the decision to raise your children with multiple languages happen naturally um, as a result of moving from place to place? Or was that always something that you wanted to do? Well, we basically moved between the UK and Mexico. So after we got married, we moved to the UK. We were in England for five years. That's where our boys were born. And then we came back to Mexico. While we were in the UK, in England, we wanted our kids not to lose their Spanish. So we made efforts for the a minority language to be present, our home language. So we were only speaking Spanish to them. We both are Mexicans. So that was fairly easy to do. And we knew they would get the, the English from, from school and from the social context we were living in. So that, that was not a problem. We were also in contact with some other immigrant families that had their own home languages. And they made different choices. Some of them made the same choices as us to have their children speak their home languages. That was easier to do when they both spoke the same language and not so easy to do when they didn't have the same language and the common language was the English language. Mm. Uh, But it was possible anyway. And then we moved back to Mexico and then we didn't want our kids not to have the English when we 
enrolled in a Montessori school back home, we uh, we were surprised. I was surprised that it was not really a bilingual school. Montessori schools in Mexico are private schools. And so this was uh, complicated in a way. So I became involved with the language programs in the school they were doing their primary. And, um, and that really took me back to research and the bilingual journey of the family is my husband has always been interested in languages. So he speaks a bit of Russian, French, English, and Spanish. And so that was something in the air. He even taught them to speak French from Asterix and Obelix. He was ah. reading to them the first time, was making the translation, and the second round, it was just French. And we were very surprised to notice that they really picked up a lot. Yeah. So it, it was always there, but the mobility did, did make it, uh, I think, more necessary in a way. When after we were in Mexico for 10 years, and when we came back to the UK this time to Scotland, then the kids hadn't really been schooled in, in English, but we had had, again, efforts to keep English around. So we would make family exchanges with a friend who was American. And when my kids were with her and where her kids were with me, we would spoke English, we will speak, we spoke English to them. And, uh, and so that was it. And when they came to, to Scotland, they just picked it up because I think the language was already there. So, mm. and they were still young. So it was not a, not a problem really. Yeah. So I think I am being left behind <laughs> if, if, because I only speak Spanish, English, and a bit of French, uh -huh. but my kids are doing French in their schools and my husband already knows it. So I'm wow. a bit behind them. <laughs> Oh, that's so cool. Um, so did you also grow up uh, speaking Spanish and English? Or did, when did you learn English? I was what it's called uh, kind of a successive uh, bilingual. So I learned English at school by attending bilingual schools. Mm. So from a young age, my, the schools I went to had a strong bilingual program. And that's the way I learned. And then... Uh, when we came to live to the UK for the first time was the first proper immersion I had. Mm, got it. Um, and so how did you first find out about Montessori? Was that through your children's schooling or did you find out about it um, professionally as a teacher before that? Oh, that's a long journey, even longer than that, I think. Oh, uh, wonderful. <laughs> my mother-in-law before she was my mother-in-law when I was still dating uh, my, my husband. Uh, she had a Montessori school. She had trained uh, the first generations that were trained in Mexico. And I was working at her school as an assistant, a bilingual assistant in infants' community. So that was my, my very first experience with, with other language in Montessori context. And so I learned really from my mother-in-law about Montessori and I was doing educational psychology at the time. So it was a pedagogy that you kind of looked at very vaguely, but I became involved or more involved with Montessori education when my kids were young, 
And in the school they attended, when we went back to Mexico, they offered uh, this assistance course for moms as well. So I joined that course and that's when I really became more interested about Montessori when I was raising my own children. Mm. Ah, cool. And so um, tell me about your experiences working in Montessori schools and as, um, as a language assistant, especially. Well, so uh, after I did my assistance course, my assistant course, I became a bilingual assistant in a, a Montessori classroom in Mexico. And to me, that was an overlap of roles because sometimes I was being a, an English teacher and sometimes I was being an assistant. And to me, that was a bit complicated at times, but that's the way it was done in that school. So that was a very practical experience in that role. And then after that, uh, when I became more involved in, in promoting the growth of the language program in my kids' school, I became the English program coordinator for the whole school. And that meant that I really asked around with other schools how had they done it. I knew I was not the first one to try to do this. So the first thing I did was to ask around with colleagues that I knew had worked in a position where they, they did this with principals that were willing to share their knowledge or their experience with me. Um, and that gave me some, some insight into what other schools were doing, both in primary and elementary levels. And then uh, I became the English teacher for Children's House. The school uh, took on an outsourcing way of dealing with the English for the, for the 6 to 12. And I just stayed with the 3 to 6 because uh, it was kind of left there. Uh, and so from that experience, that became the action research that I did uh, starting where I was, which was uh, an English teacher, very traditionally trained in that matter. And from there moving to something that would align better with the Montessori pedagogy. I knew how my kids had learned to, to write and to read being in Montessori. And so I wanted to do the same for a second language. I just didn't know how. So I just went into the ground and I followed the child. So that's basically what I did uh, with this segment, right, of the curricula. And, that, and then when I finished that research that took three years and it's reported in the article that was recently published in the Journal of Montessori Research, then I wanted to know if it would be the same for, a, for another target language. And that brought me to, to the UK again, because here I could use Spanish as a target language. And, and well, from there, I have been in touch with colleagues in different parts of the world that have been doing this. Um, and I'm just very passionate about it. Now the multilingual bit is more, uh, it's more of a tendency in Europe than I find it in America because there is more linguistic diversity, maybe in the places I've been. 
Uh, and that really is my journey, I think. Oh, okay. So we're going to get all into the article. I can't wait to talk to you about it. Wait, wait. Um, and yes. Just a second. Okay. And then the doing my research pushed me to train as a Montessori teacher. But, but something that is important for me to say is that I was not a Montessori teacher before I did mm. that. And to me, that that is important. Yeah. Um, so are you in training right now? Yes, I am going to hoping to sit my exams this summer. This is a training center that allowed me to do my training considering both English and Spanish for the language section. So I found that very attractive for me. And that's why I chose this training center. Oh, that's really cool. So uh, like you mentioned, in the spring, you published an article in the Journal of Montessori Research about second language teaching in the Montessori Children's House and your experiences. Um, so tell me how um, the English Corner project in the Children's House began and what that, um, what that project was like. Well, initially, I just started as an English teacher for the Children's House. But then because I have a background as a researcher, an ethnographic researcher, then, and I was in the ground. So it was just impossible for me not to do something else with, something else with all these data I was getting. And I am a very reflexive person in a way. So I wanted to, and I had a target very clear. I wanted to make an English program that would align to the Montessori principles that would be almost as, as a learning how to write or the learning how to read or the learning how to do, do maths happens in a Montessori environment, but for the second language. So with that in mind, I started just from where I was at that time, which is just a traditional English teacher that came into a uh, a Montessori environment, I chose not to work with the younger children because from my previous experience in an infant's community, I knew that the best thing for the little ones was really just to have the language in the environment socially. So uh, we made a decision with the principal just to take the year two and year three children. And I started doing uh, lessons, English lessons outside the classroom because the previous year I had been the coordinator of the English program at the school, I didn't want to interrupt the work cycles of children. So we would do that either in the beginning of the, of the day before they started their, their, their work cycle. And after break, after recess time, not to interrupt that. That changed because, well, we had to make adjustments along the way. And every six months, uh, I was reflecting on my practice and making new choices that I would pass through with the teachers and the principal. And that's the way we went for three years. I didn't know at the time that the environment was turning into a bilingual environment. It was actually until I wrote my article that I realized that this was actually happening uh, or that this had happened. 
yeah, I thought that was, that was a really interesting part of your article that you, um, you've, so tell me a little more about that distinction between, um, the children becoming bilingual versus the environment coming, becoming bilingual. Yes. Well, what happened is I was progressing and as I was progressing, more exposure of the target language happened. So I started just with three hours a week, and I ended up being inside the classroom for uh, three days for four hours each day. So the amount of exposure was a lot bigger. And now all the children were involved. And by the third year, the children that had been with me from the first year this project started already knew a lot of, of the language. So they some children were bilingual already. And before the third year, they would speak to me in Spanish, but could understand what I said in English. But on the third year, for example, they would also speak back to me in English. So those were signs that I couldn't recognize at the time as the environment becoming already bilingual. Uh, and when I wrote my article and read Rosa Nova's report and the stages that she, he mentions about uh, bilingual environments, then I said, oh, that's why. No, this, this, was, mm. this was a natural thing to happen given those circumstances. But I couldn't see it because my initial target was not to create a bilingual environment, but simply to develop a second language program. But because the, the way the Montessori Trinity works, the language was already part of the enriched environment. So it mm. happened naturally. Yeah, I loved that part. Can you talk more about um, the Montessori Trinity and how that relates to second language learning? I love that very much. <laughs> so, yeah, so I think that's what I really learned from my experience in this, in this journey, that it is not really about someone bringing the language into the classroom, but about the, the language being alive in a social environment. Uh, and I think the way in which the child can, can be exposed to that and the second language or any languages can be part of the uh, uh, habitual environment in which it has a purpose. The children in the environment, for example, wanted to communicate with me. And I spoke in this other language. It is not a problem for the children to learn that code in a way so that they can establish this communication. I uh, and and so I don't know if that answers the question, but it's basically the, the child, the adult, and the prepared environment, where the prepared environment for the second language is using the language in a purposeful way. Mm. Yeah. Oh, that is so beautiful. I love that. Um, so speaking of the environment. Uh, can you tell us about some of the materials that you developed for the English Corner? Because you write um, in your paper that you really wanted to make them true Montessori materials. Um, so, and how did you uh, develop them and how did you adapt them to fit the children's needs and interests? Well, this again was trial and error in a way, but I knew how Montessori materials worked. 
and I knew there was a, crit a criteria for their design, and I knew uh, like things around that. Uh -huh. So what I did was to, in the beginning, and the kids were really telling me everything. That's why I, I mostly said that I followed the child. So one day I came to the English class with a poster that had a few songs and that had some drawings in it. And the kids loved it. And the following class, they were asking me, where is the poster? Where is the poster? So I said, these guys really like the songs together mm. with some sort of illustration that talks about the, the content. So that gave me a clue. And I also wanted for them to be able to use the materials independently because I was not in the classroom with them all the time. I only came for three days. So I, I knew that if, if I decide a procedure, like there is a procedure with many of the Montessori materials, then they could do this. And I would have to demonstrate this procedure with them so that, they, so that when I was not with them, they could know how to use them. So for example, one of the materials I designed were some posters with songs, rhymes, poems, and I had a, a lesson, well, a structure of the sessions that we were having inside the classroom. And what I did was to just make these posters with these illustrations and assign a procedure to, to do them. And then it was really nice after some trial and error when the procedure was kind of well-defined to see that the older kids or the one that already knew those songs or those poems were showing the younger ones how to do it or would come to the English corner when I was not there and would just take out the songs, put them in the places where they could have them in front of them and sing along. That yeah. was one. Mm -hmm. Another material was some for vocabulary enrichment. I did some memory games and I did, I chose uh, a few semantic categories around food, animals, activities, which would be verbs and so on. And we would just have uh, some some cards, I made some lists of words. Uh, and then we had a, a couple of sets. And well, just trying, just trying uh, mm -hmm. so that they would be beautiful. I also knew that the, the, the materials themselves need to be beautiful to attract the child's attention. Mm -hmm. um, and they had to be something that happened once I made uh, and they had they had the control cards for the memory cards as well. And once I made one that was not symmetrical, it had seven objects because at the time I did it, uh, I just couldn't think of, a different, of another word, right? So the kids were always coming and saying, this is missing something. And I, <laughs> and I was saying, it's not that important. But then I realized how important order is for them mm -hmm. and how something that might not be important for me it really was kind of a bit disruptive for their eyes. So it was really nice that they were telling me all this information that helped me be more mindful in the way I taught about these materials. And I also need to say that I had the help from moms 
I created a little group with some of the moms that were willing to help to develop this program. And, and some of them were helping me find the images, some would cut them, some would plastify them. And it was a nice experience as well. Oh, wow. Oh, that's wonderful. Um, so what lessons do you think that you learned through that experience or, um, what are you, what do you bring now into your work in Glasgow? What sort of transformation did you go through personally in that experience? Well, I think that transformation really has to do with the transformation of the adult. For me, it was that it was a practitioner researcher journey, as I put it in my article, because it, it, from this positionality, in a way, I was able to do this, that made something concrete for this specific place, but also made something for me. And what do I bring? First, that uh, you need to start where you are, and it's good to have your target set. And then you just need to move along, depending on the circumstances. So because I, I like this kind of research that is grounded on the circumstance, I, I think what I bring is maybe an understanding that things may not be as easy as they seem or as complicated as you might imagine. Mm. So in my mind, when I came to Scotland, I thought I could just replicate what I had done. That was simply not possible, right? Mm. Because this was a totally different context because it's not the same to want to, to teach Spanish in the UK than it is to teach Spanish in Mexico. Mm-hmm. And all these things play a part uh, and well, I think uh, just that understanding of things being complex, but that complexity not necessarily meaning impossible, but you need to find your way through them mm-hmm. is what I, what I have with me now. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I love that. Um, so how has it been going so far in the program in Scotland? Um, how many years did you say you've been there? Well, the, the, the placement in Scotland for me was a follow-up of the research I did in Mexico. Mm. Again, I coordinated the languages program. I realized the, the educational asset that having a multicultural linguistic context can be. Uh, but it lasted for two and a half years and then it came to a pause mm. because, uh, well, that's what happened. And so I think something that we can also say about language programs is that schools need to have clarity in defining if they want a limited scope approach or a wide scope approach. And depending on that, they need to make choices that take them to where they want to be. Mm, I see. Um, And so what else do you think it is important to consider um, when schools are thinking about incorporating a second language? What should 
what should teachers sure. and, and principals and administrators think about? I would think the first question would be, why are they doing it? What for are they doing it? Is it just to, for a marketing thing, just to say that you teach another language? Is it because you want to give the children this resource? Is it because you want to welcome other languages into your center and make them alive there? So to me, that would be the first question to ask. Why? What for? How are you going to do it? Who is going to, to make it happen? And just have uh, an idea of how long can it take? Because in my view, this can be uh, not such a short process mm -hmm. because there are a lot of people involved and you need to consider really just like with any implementation process that you might have something in mind, but that needs to kind of fall down into whichever needs happening for that to, to be materialized. Mm. Yeah. And what do you think are the biggest challenges either that you experienced or in general um, in trying to implement a bilingual program in a Montessori school? Well, I think, oof, oh, that's, <laughs> that's, it seems an easy question, but it's actually not. Uh, I think many efforts have been done, but I think sometimes our efforts that depend on one person and when that person leaves, then they are kind of lost. Mm. And that knowledge can be disintegrated easily if it has not become yet part of the culture. And I think uh, that is something to consider. Mm. Mm. And what else? And I also think that now that we are talking about uh, like global citizenship and, and all this, this needs to include languages. Languages needs, need to be in this conversation mm -hmm. in a way that we want them to be part of the conversation. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that is, it's so true. We can't really talk about being global without talking about languages and linguistic diversity. And identity and, and all that, all these things entail. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I'm that you sort of answered, but I had also I wanted to ask you, why do you think it's important for schools uh to consider incorporating second language teaching? Mm, I can tell you about the experiences that I had. I know that the experience in Mexico part of it was a success because to me it was a successful experience because there was a, a very high interest in the classroom teachers for the, their kids to have the tool of knowing the English language. That was very important. And also the relationship between the adults, me and these Montessori teachers that were in the classroom, was very important, it grew. It needs to start somewhere. And that somewhere is, is where you are at, at that moment when you are choosing to do this. And how much will it take? How long will it take? Who will be the right person to, 
to bring it into a reality. All those are important considerations. Yeah. Um, and what do you think, um, like you mentioned before, one of the challenges is that if it's all dependent on one person, what happens when that person leaves? What do you think are um, some ways that schools can kind of work around that problem or that challenge? I think to have a strong uh, language program, you need to make it part of, of the culture. You need to make it relevant. It needs to have a purpose that is reflected in the education you deliver. So, so what, what can you do to do that can look very differently. In the follow-up I did in the UK, for example, on the second year of the implementation, on the third year of the implementation, we had been doing piñatas for December and we were trying to kind of link the school holidays or the, the school celebrations also with languages. That could be one way. At some point, we did a joint activity with two different classes um, to do a treasure hunt in Spanish. And all these things that can become traditions can, can bring relevance and can make it be a bit more embedded in, in what the school does. Uh, and this is not the only way. Also, you can bring the parents and their home languages into the school and welcome that. But that needs a special frame of mind and disposition on the adults that are to do this. So I think mm. like with everything in Montessori, it's not just what you think, in terms of the method, but also what that implies in the transformation of the adult. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's such a great point. Um, so looking at future research, either your own personal future research plans or just in general, where do you think um, the fields of multilingual education and Montessori are headed? Well, in terms of research, something that I came across and I became very interested about is how language learning has developed in different regions of the world for the last hundred years. That's a research I would love to do if I just had the funding, because I need to say that all this that I have done, I have done independently with my own uh, resources. And it is different the circumstance that I had in Mexico than the one I had that I have now in the UK. And all those material conditions mean something for the, for the construction of knowledge even. Mm. Uh, so that could be something like look at the history, the, the history of this. It can also be that this is not necessarily documented because it is practitioners who are in the ground but we do not necessarily have the time or the, or the training to write it up in a way that can be disseminated, for example, academically. It took me a long effort to have this, this paper published in a peer-reviewed article. It was a choice I made that I had to make some time aside for this and make choices that allow that, allowed, allowed for that. But, uh, but I mean, that's, there's a lot of knowledge 
that we don't necessarily know. Not so long ago, I interviewed a lady that used to have a French English Montessori school in London that was there for 30 years. And if I hadn't known her and discussed about the experience with her, that experience would have just been in the knowledge of the people that were there during yeah. those times. And to me, that's knowledge lost. And that precise uh, case, let's say, because I compile stories of practitioners and of schools, and this is something that I'm passionate about. Uh, but you need to, to look for that and to have people willing to share that mm -hmm. and to have someone who is willing to kind of put it out there for everyone. Yeah. And I think that's the problem. Sometimes you want to implement a, a good bilingual program, but sometimes you don't know what it takes to do it. And all the things aside it, like, for example, the school I am working, uh, like to move to the next step, it was too much to be asked. So that's why they said, no, we need to stop here because we cannot move on to the next level. And that is understandable right in a way yeah. but sometimes you start very joyfully saying yeah yeah let's have spanish let's have another language but you don't really know what that means to become a bilingual classroom it can be easy but it can also be challenging yeah mm -hmm. yeah um so what advice do you have so this isn't exactly about schools, but for parents, what advice do you have for parents who are raising their children with multiple languages or, or who are interested in um, introducing another language to their children? I would say go for it because whatever you think is an impediment is not in the mind of a child. It is most likely something that you think that might be difficult, hard or whatever, but that's not the way a, a child mind works. So just go for it, have fun, be consistent, uh, and and make it make it relevant, make it joyful. Mm, yeah, that's it. Yeah, yeah. What do you share think it has, with others? Yeah, encourage other people to do it too. Um, what do you think has been? Um, the most rewarding thing about uh, seeing your children be multilingual? I think they can move in between cultures because of the, of the stages. I am happy that they, that they spend their, their childhood in Mexico with their extended family and everything that we were able to give them back home. But I am also happy that they can be here uh, with their identity already very established, learning how to be in a different culture and having this additional resource of speaking another language and learning another language and just knowing that languages are there to be used, to be shared, to be learned. Yeah. Oh, that's beautiful. Um, is there anything else about your paper or your research or your experience in schools or as a multilingual parent that we didn't touch on that you wanted to share? No, I think I, I, I just like doing research. I like 
getting to know people who are also passionate about this. And if you have a story that you would like to share, just get in touch with me and share it. And I'll see what I do with that, but it will be good. Oh, that's wonderful. Okay. I will definitely include a link to your, uh, your research paper and your uh, email at the end of the episode as well. Well, thank you so, so much for being on the podcast. This was wonderful. Thank you. Thank you very much for the invitation and for the, just for the joy of, of sharing this with you. Thank you again to Romali for joining me for this conversation. You can read Romali's paper, Second Language Corner for a Children's House, A Practitioner-Researcher Journey into Bilingualism in Montessori Education in the Spring 2021 Journal of Montessori Research. You can find the link to that in the episode description. And if you have a story you'd like to share with Romali, you can reach her at romali.rosales at gmail.com. You can follow Multilingual Montessori on Instagram at multilingual.montessori and you can find more resources for raising bilingual and multilingual children from a Montessori perspective at multilingualmontessori.org. Please take a moment to subscribe to the Multilingual Montessori podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you're listening right now. And if you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to leave a five-star rating. If you're interested in an extra episode each month on a topic related to language acquisition in young children, you can join the Patreon community. You'll find the link to that in the episode description. Another wonderful way to support the podcast is to share it with someone who you think would enjoy it as well. Thanks again for listening and see you next time. Thank you.